as always, we want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself. What do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low-cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can help reveal these and other important details. Call us to set up your appointment. And as always, if you folks have, you know, seven or eight figures worth of investable wealth, um, these are the guys that you want in your corner. These are honest, ethical professionals who can help you at every step along the way. Uh, They're the allies that you need on your side. Investment advisor services offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. Well, thanks as always to um, uh, the Norden Group of Salt Lake. I, I keep checking under my mattress for that million dollars, but haven't found it yet. Um, uh, glad we're able to do a podcast this week, even though things are a little crazy. Um, uh, yeah, we've been, I don't know, I think a lot of you have probably heard by now that the Draper family's moving. It's kind of a, a good and bad thing. We um, we actually were renting this home that we've been living up on on Teton Drive. And I've just loved living here. It's just fun having the mountains in our backyard, like literally. And it was always my dream to be able to buy this home some, someday. But, um, we actually just got a notice that the people that own the house decided they wanted to sell it and gave us 30 days to get out. So alas, Dan's NBA contract hasn't come through yet, which (laughs) precludes us from living in this, you know, Still a pretty modest neighborhood. It's crazy when you look at how much things cost. Yeah, it's you know, crazy. But we it sucks. The next day, we found a house in Cottonwood Heights that we just love, and we put in an offer for it, and they're buying it. And and a week from today, we are going to be moving in. And we one of my biggest criteria was I wanted it to be a good headquarters for, for Maybird. So yep. we got space to store all the race stuff, and it's a pretty easy place for people to swing by and drop off and pick stuff up. So we really wanted it to, to, to stay in the community and, and stay close. We're only a few minutes away. So, uh, but it has been kind of stressful and kind of living in, in a mess right now, but and we still, we still want to get the podcast out, you know, and, um, I don't, I don't think that this move will be super disruptive for the team, you know, oh, like, it shouldn't be at all. I've kind of gradually relocated to Sandy over the last few months and we'll you know, have folks in Cottonwood Heights. So, been riding more Corner Canyon. That's kind of been the biggest bike change in my world this year. But um, before we dive in, a uh, couple shout outs. We had, a, a you know, two of the absolute A-tier stars of Maybird, Gabe Norda and Joe Cochran, uh, representing out this week. Joe, was, was it the Sarlacc attack out yeah, in Fruta? and I guess he won the pro division, which is pretty cool. It's yeah. Not unexpected, but yeah. bra- bravo to Joe. Yeah. And then, and then Gabe Norda, you know, uh, had a, a bit of a rough day out in Grand Junction. Looks like he had a, a flat, unfortunately, but, um, out there was some super intense competition, just, you know, really just a couple months after getting back into the swing of things, he's out, you know, you know, riding against guys that you and I could never dream of even, you know, hanging on to. So bravo to those guys. And, um, uh, also wanted to give a quick update, <clears throat> uh, re-waxing chains. Uh, I promised I, I would get on this right away. Like I said, it's been a crazy couple weeks since my chain episode, but Andrew and I did wax three chains the other night. We went through the whole process of stripping them down, waxing them, got it on my mountain bike, actually was able to ride it in kind of ideal conditions to test it out of riding Corda Canyon and sort of 
not muddy, but wet, you know, grimy conditions. And it's, it's pretty cool. Um, the chain feels, it feels like a perfectly lube chain constantly. I finished the ride, hosed it off, <laughs> rode it down to the back door and, um, the chain doesn't feel wet, you know, that, like wet, crunchy, grimy feeling mm-hmm. just goes away. So, um, it was, it was a bit of a pain on the front end, but you know, now that I've got it waxed and I don't need to strip it again. So I think in, in a, you know, maybe two, 300 miles of riding, I'll dip it in the crock pot again, get a new master link, throw it back on. And, you know, I think that chain could last me a couple seasons, hmm. which sounds kind of crazy, but See, I'm actually thinking about trying a wax chain for point to point this year, because yeah. I think I want to do it. Cause that'll be the ultimate test because oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, usually on, on like point to point, I'll carry a little bit of lube and a teeny rag with me. And like when it gets so noisy that it's just driving me nuts and you can tell it's like, you can actually feel that your chain's slowing you down. Oh yeah. I'll pull out my lube and clean it off and it feels great for, you know, a couple more hours. So right. Well, and I, I think too, like I think over, that'll be the ultimate test really. Well, in point to point, like with as dirty as that chain gets compared to a waxed chain, you're probably looking at like 20 Watts you know, in, in the bank there. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's, you know, I mean, think about how dirty your chain gets, especially with the moon dust lately. So yeah, that we'll, we'll, we'll keep updating on that. I've also done it on my 20 road watts is too. not guaranteed. That's just it. I, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we got to sound, I don't, you got to sound exciting, Dan. There's no, <laughs> there's no place for nuance or complexity here. It's, it's all or nothing. Um, uh, I do have a, there's a big, busy week in the bike world and I've, I've kind of wrapped it all up into a quiz for you. Oh, great. Um, so, and, and I, I had no idea it was a big, busy week in the bike world. Oh, so. oh it, it is. It is. Um, and, and we'll, we'll start by asking you, Dan, there are two grand tours going on right now. And really quick, Dan, what is a grand tour? It is a one day, like a one day race, right? No, no, those are quite the opposite. That's which, a classic. Oh, it's a classic. Okay. That's a classic. So what, what is a grand tour, Dan? It's, there's like four or five of them, right? No, those are monuments. Oh, darn it. <laughs> the classics are the big three-week races, and, and you should know those. What are the big three-week oh, races? Oh, like the Tour de France? Yep. Paris-Roubaix? No. Dan, look, what are the <laughs> other two? Tour of France, Tour of Italy, Tour of Spain. There are, um, and the, of, of course, those are the men's. There tour are, de Italy. And yeah, the Tour the tour de Italy. And the Tour de Spain. Okay. So, um, so you totally whiffed this question. I'm just going to move on. Um, uh, the Giro started yesterday. And the um, uh, the uh, Vuelta Femenina, I believe, uh, which is the women's Vuelta España, finished uh, today. Um, uh, so the men's tour of Italy, women's tour of Spain. Um, I want to start with the women's tour of Spain, the Vuelta Femenina. Um, curious question for you here. Demi Vollering lost the leader's jersey um, for what controversial reason during this race? A blood glucose monitor. No, a good you good call back to Perry Rubay there. They did actually disqualify that rider. Mm. They ended up disqualifying him, which is pretty stupid. Uh, but no, no, it wasn't that. Do you want to take another crack at it? Um, sock link. No, no. She had to stop for a pee break, and coincidentally, right at that moment, her biggest rival's team, um, Annemiek van Vluten with Movistar, uh, attacked. And a couple other teams attacked right as she stopped for a pee. And this mm. is kind of... No one broke any rules. You don't have to like, you know, respect people's pee breaks or feed breaks or mechanicals, but it's kind of like traditional sportsmanship and cycling that if the leader of the race has a mechanical, the, the group holds up. You don't like nobody wants to win the race because someone had to stop. And so you attacked him at an opportune moment there. So there's kind of been this, this debate going back and forth where people are like, you know, that's pretty slimy, you know, hmm. put in an attack right as they have to stop and take a leak. You know, and I've, I was reading too in the women's race that takes a little longer, you know, like. 
um, a lot of the men, you know, people don't realize it's when the cameras pan away. A lot of the men just pee off the bike. They'll have a teammate push them from behind and, you know, um, but for the women's race, there's kind of has to be this degree of sportsmanship where it's like, look, people need nature breaks, not really sporting to attack people during one of those. So Demi Vollering lost the Jersey, but came back today, crushed the last mountain stage, took a really cool mountain win. But so they don't really do what triathletes or reportedly are, do in, in the memes. I don't know. I I read somewhere one time that the finish of, of a road race can smell kind of gross because some riders do do that. Hmm. Um, and famously, Tom Dumoulin almost lost the Giro uh, five or six years ago because he had to take a, an extended nature break and, you know, people attacked him there too. And then there was the, you know, Chris Room was attacked one time when he had a mechanical by, I think it was Fabio Aru in the tour in 2016. So this debate comes up a bunch. I I really think that you should win by being the strongest rider. Wasn't there that debate too, like that? that gravel race where Keegan wore a backpack and everyone stopped at the feed zone and he kept and going. he kept going yeah and that was kind of that one was dumb that people was, who got upset about that were silly that okay. was people uh, talking like about the spirit of gravel or whatever that fueled months of bike memes that I, was dumb I have heard about people that can pee on the bike and that just is like a oh in a race it makes sense oh it, I mean yeah it does it it's a skill I don't have currently no because I don't you know, I I don't know. We're I I can I don't think amateurs should do that. I think if you're racing for a paycheck, then sure. But, um, but yeah. So that that was a little bit controversial. Um, and then my last question for you here: uh, Who won the first stage of the Giro, which was a time trial, and is favored possibly to take the pink jersey all the way to Rome? Tade. No, Pogacar's not in this race. Oh. He's not. Okay. No, no, um, not in the Giro. Uh, Remco. Remco. Yes. So yesterday, I think was one of the most insane road performances I've ever seen. And I really do mean it. Um, Remco Evanapol is not a big guy. And really quick, if you don't know that name, you should. I think that there are two road racers right now that I would say are the best in the world. There's Tade Pogacar, which, who we talk about a lot. He's won. He won the Tour in 2020, 2021, second last year. He won the Tour of Flanders this year. Um, I think he is the generation-defining rider right now. But more and more, I think he's going to share that spotlight with Belgian Remco Evenepoel, who is 22. He's younger than me. Um, he played for Belgium's national soccer team before being scouted. He somehow got into cycling, which was a bad career choice. I think he's going to make way less money. But um, uh, he is kind of touted to be the next Eddie Merckx. He mm-hmm. won the Vuelta last year. Um, and he's this really lethal combination of, as a Grand Tour rider goes, where he he's not big. He's about 5'6". He is probably the best time trialist in the world and one of the top five best climbers, right? And that's the balance you have to strike because the best climber doesn't win the tour. It's the best climber who can put in a good time trial, right? Um, and that is Remco Evenepoel. I think that um, Pogachar was kind of caught out by Jonas Vingegaard last year. I, I, I still think Pogachar is better than Vingegaard. I think the only rider who eventually will be able to compete with Pogachar will be uh, Remco. But yesterday in, in the time trial, he was up against um, former time trial world champion and current uh, Italian national champion, Filippo Ghana, who's like six foot five. You know, he's purportedly capable of doing 500 watts for extended periods of time. He's the hour record guy, right? Yes, actually. Yeah, yeah. Good, good memory there. Uh, Remco put 20 seconds into Filippo Ghana on the first flat section of the course before extending his lead on the climb. And the only rider who people thought would be able to compete with Remco in this Grand Tour would be Primoz Roglic, um, who we've talked about. He almost won the Tour, and Pogacar took it from him in 2020. Um, and so the debate now is, like, will Remco be able to take a leader's jersey on stage one and carry it all the way through? And I don't remember the last time that happened. I don't think it's happened in my lifetime. 
So um, the Giro, uh, I've, uh, we had a, a helpful hint from a, uh, a listener of the podcast, I'll tell you who after Dan, who suggested getting a VPN so that you only have to pay for one cycling uh, subscription. So I started paying, I, I just, I looked at best VPN, it was like Surfshark or something. And so I just changed my location to the UK and now I can watch the Giro on GCN plus. Hmm. So unsanctioned little editorial tip for you there. Um, but yeah, go, the Giro is my favorite Grand Tour of the year. I think it's better than the Tour. Um, and I'm really interested to see if, if Remco wins this, you know, I think that'd be pretty darn cool. Um, my prediction at the outset is that he's a little too young and inexperienced and that'll blow up in the third week. I don't think he had the competition um, in the Vuelta that he has in the Giro this year. So I will be keeping you up to date on that. We'll have probably three epics, three week long Grand Tour. We'll have a couple of check-ins, but definitely go watch that. So. Okay, and I'll I'll try and be a little more up to date on it. So I don't it's good stuff. Bad in the You're missing. Out. Oh, and I should say really quick, stage two, boring sprint stage. Uh, kind of a B tier sprinter. Uh, Jonathan Milano won. Um, really impressive sprint. Go check out my Instagram story. I posted a video of it. Just dropped all the arrow sprinters by having the most watts. So that's kind of fun there. But with that being said, I'll let you get back to the world of of mountain biking here, Dan. Okay. Well, so. Today's topic is, as you guys all know, it's the word I struggle to say. And I've, I've been practicing. Which one, Dan? Specificity. 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 Well, specificity. Okay. okay. And, um, and it was based on a question that, that somebody asked that I thought was a pretty good question that I want to talk about. A lot of what we're talking about ties into kind of things we talked about during our prepping for point to point discussion. A lot of it kind of dovetails into that but I've also had a couple other questions too like I had um so I had a question Joe Cochran asked a question about sleep and then there was another question about cramping and those are two topics that I want to do it's like they're just such dear topics to me that I want to do them a lot of justice and have a lot of prep and and in fact I've the the cramping one I've already been doing like tons and tons of research oh, yeah. on and and like when we do when we do a, a podcast on sleeping and cramping they're going to be like very very special episodes because those things are both super dear to me won't be able to sleep the night before yeah so yeah exciting. so yeah. um so i will get to those soon but i want to do them justice and right now i just have been a lot like really kind of busy and haven't had as much time so to, this is going to be a crappy episode everyone mar- no we're phoning well, it in this week <laughs> No, actually, this is going to be really interesting. Well, maybe maybe I, don't, I can't speak for everybody, but mm. I think this will be an interesting episode. But a lot of this, a lot of what we're talking about today is more opinion than anything that anyone could actually like scientifically. This is, this is a less scientific, more. Yeah, more. more we're, we're talking platitudes today, everyone. Well, basically. Yeah. yeah. So, um, specific. <laughs> I cannot say that word. Specific. Um, Specificity. There we specificity. go. Specificity. Okay. It's a tricky one. It kind of is. Yeah. Do you have any words that are hard for you to say? Um, maybe. I have words that people say wrong that bug me. Like when people say especially, that really rubs me the wrong okay. way. I, I don't know. No, not really. I don't know. No, we're especially talking about specificity. We're especially talking about specific. How did you say it that one time? I can't Sp- remember. Specificity. I don't know. I don't know. Um... Yeah, so, so Reese Tillman sent in a question that said, um, I'm just going to read his question. Hey, so I've heard lots of people say their training plans are for specific races, and mm. I really never got what that meant. 
Mm. It would be very helpful if you guys could go deeper into training plans for Nike riders. P.S. I love the podcast. Thanks, Reese. We love you. That is an interesting question, though, because a lot of times people will be like, oh, you know, I'm training for Lodija this year. I'm training for point to point or even training for Nika. And and really good. And, and again, Dan, and I don't share notes. My guess is that your take on this will be like you just make yourself a better rider because you're doing a lot of races anyway. And like you're not like, you know, like the GCN clickbaity videos, like the best way to prepare for X, Y or Z. And it's like the special set of intervals or whatever. And my guess is that you're going to say, make yourself a better rider. You'll be better at everything. There's not a specific training plan that's going to make you better at a specific race within reason. Right. How close am I? That's exactly. Should we end the podcast? Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the, the gist I came up with for the point to point race, you know, like, right. If you're fit enough to do well at point to point, you're also fit enough to do well at an I cup race or even at a short track race. Right. You know, specificity is very important but it's not the only thing. And so whenever I hear people selling these, these plan in a can type plans for getting ready for this one specific race, it's YouTube clickbait. I think it's a little bit silly Yeah, because you're not just going to be good at that one race. You, if you're going to be good at that one race, you're going to be good at a lot of different things. Is there maybe some truth? Like if you were trying to prepare for race across America by doing cyclocross, like if you really go on the extremes, like maybe there could be some truth, but for the most part, for most of what people are actually doing, it's kind of the same thing for everything. Then they're both aerobic activities and Mm. having a big aerobic engine is going to help you at both. Mm. So, but that doesn't mean that specificity is not important, right? Specificity is incredibly important, but, um, but there is kind of a little debate among like, you know, training, coaching nerds, you know, about engine building versus specificity. I'm getting better at saying that word. Specificity? Like, yeah. There you go. And and, and so there is kind of an... Because there are some coaches... I, I was like listening to a podcast the other day where the, the person talking was just specificity, specificity, specificity. And I admired him that he could say that word three times fast like that. But... Being proficient in your native language is quite the flex, Dan. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know... Um, but, you know, it's... it's. I don't think it's the only thing. And, and like even yeah. Andy Coggin, who... You know, as a guy you really wouldn't want to go up against in a physiology debate. I mean, he's gone out saying that, like, that, you know, you basically make your body do what it's supposed to do in, in, in a race and the physiology, physiology will figure it out. Right. And he's a big specificity right. guy. Interesting. And, and I'm not like anti-specificity. I think it's super duper important, but it's not the only thing that you focus on. Like, right. you know, we... um. You know, we like, like, let's say someone that, you know, say I trained all year long, all winter long, I trained to do short track. That was going to be right. my, which is, if you know me, that's yeah, kind of hilarious. That's hilarious yeah. yeah. But say that's just all I worked on all season long was just focusing on all my training was just geared towards being the best short track racer I could possibly. Maybe explain short track really quick in case people listening are unfamiliar. Because that is kind of, it's newer ish. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's basically like a short version of a cross country race where you do a race on like a short lap that you maybe takes what for like 20 minutes, 20 minutes, two to four minutes, maybe. And it's just super all out. And like, if you get, you know, 
like if you get about 20% behind the leader, they'll pull you out so you don't get lapped and stuff. It's and, I think it's more tactical than a cross. It's kind of like a, yeah. crit. it's maybe similar to a crit in a lot of ways. But it, it's anyway, it's super short and yeah. super red line. Really punchy. You know? Yeah. You know, if, if, if I trained all season long just to be really, really good at that, um, and, and you know, someone like Aaron Jordan or someone that had a big, huge, awesome aerobic engine, engine yeah. never did a short track, he'd still beat me at a short track, you know? I mean, right, right. It's, and there might be some truth to like, if you're only doing, and you're never doing a ride longer than two hours, then you might maybe struggle a little well, bit in point to point. Well, no, you will. Cause specificity, specificity is very important. It's, right. It's just not the only thing. Right. And is this one of those debates? It's like, they call it like a false dichotomy where it's like, you're supposed to pick sides when yeah, there's like, not, it's like, like nature versus nurture or, or whatever. It's like, it's ridiculous or to like think polarized that. versus sweet spot. It's just a stupid debate that really, I've been going over this with my boys so much that like simplistic, black and white thinking is gets people into so much trouble it's usually wrong right yeah but my first well let me just tell you a little story um about why specificity is important because the purpose of this podcast wasn't to say how unimportant it is right you know which is usually the stance i kind of take but right we're going to actually talk about why it is important because i remember one time uh there was a nika race at corner canyon and the whole pit zone was Joe's laughing for some reason. This was a bad day for me. <laughs> the whole pit zone was in that parking lot there. Everything fit in there just yep. fine. It was well, it was down. Yeah, it was like the parking lot, and then like the little rodeo bit, and and now that would fit maybe the Corner Canyon team. <laughs> yeah, um, but at that particular race, it was really really interesting because the when it came time for podiums, every single podium was dominated by corner canyon riders right do you remember that i do like kids you'd never even heard of right but every podium was just all corner canyon riders right which made me think well god you know because i mean they were just so familiar with riding those trails they're just so comfortable with them you, you know they they just kind of you could just kind of know when to gauge your effort know when to go you hard, know exactly, you know exactly how long the climb's gonna take you, you know, know it's kind of like you know if we had a race up dry creek or something Oh gosh. Oh. Yeah. But yeah, no, like po- the point stands. Yeah. And I should say like in a season where the corner Canyon was, it's always been a, a powerhouse, but they were really dominant in this. Part- I remember this particular race. Was that 2016, maybe 2015, 2016. But you know, they were un- like disproportionately dominant yes. at, on their home turf. Right. Yeah. You know, you know, so I think that's an example of why specificity is important. Another example too, is like, like runners, for instance, you know, runners are, have awesome and runners have awesome motors you know right they, they've got great aerobic fitness it's it's a sister sport it translates fairly well but you can't just go directly from running hop on a bike and be great right away but people do do it there's a lot of examples like cameron Wirf on team Ineos right now is a former triathlete like it's 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 not plug and play but it's close it's close it's close but, but he couldn't does. come straight off one week doing iron man kona to the Giro d'Italia, like, yeah, that wouldn't work. You need yeah, he it needs takes some time specificity to build to to use that motor. But he's closer than like a weightlifter trying to translate into cycling, right? Mm-hmm. Like it is, yeah, okay. There's some proximity there. Yeah, so I would, you know, I would say that most of what we've talked about so far, we're talking, we've talked about like building our engines and right, and and building our engines gets us most of most of the way there. And I think specificity is kind of learning how to use that engine. You know, because there's there's like people like like, you know, some 16 year old kid gets into a Ferrari. Right. 
he wouldn't know what to do with all that power, you know, like, right. right, So, so yeah. So specificity is kind of learning how to use that and, and building the engine isn't just zone two. Like, like there's multiple different ways to build our aerobic engine. You know, zone two is a huge part of it. And it's a part that's kind of unlimited. You can do, you, you can do as much as you want. You're only kind of limited by the amount of time you have to devote to that. Right. That's kind of one part of building the engine. Um, you know, zone five and six type work, intensity type work, the VO2 max type work. That's another way to, to help build that same engine. Um, you're a little more limited on the amount of time you can spend doing that, but it's still building the same engine. Doing the same thing. It's just a different pathway to it. Okay. You know? That so, makes enough sense. Um, but specificity, I think something kind of different. I think that's, like I said, that's kind of like learning how to use that engine. Um, so, I, I think a lot of people that that preach specificity, I think they just do it because it's kind of almost seems kind of common sense. I think sometimes engine building's a little counterintuitive. Yeah, you yeah, know that's fair. I see that. You know, because it's like, why would you, you know, why would you do long, slow rides if your races are forty-five minutes long, right? All out. You know, that just right. doesn't seem. You know, and I think most parents and most people kind of new to the sport and even a lot of coaches think that, you know, like most of your rides should kind of replicate your races. And Which, again, is intuitive. That's it not really it's not intuitive. a ridiculous conclusion to land on. And it's not always wrong. Yeah. That, you know, it's better than nothing. Right. Yeah. yeah it's, I, mean, I mean, it's it's really good. Even, you know, if you just if you did, you know, XCO race, you know, replicas or whatever for every single practice, you'd still be good but you're going to get smoked by that guy who's doing those, those four and five hour rides. Yeah. And, and so, you know, it's kind of like, why, why not just be specific all the time? Like why not, you know, why not just do a midweek race twice a week, every week to get ready for your races? I mean, what's, what would be the problem with that? Yeah, that's totally fair. Yeah. I'm well, why do you think you wouldn't do that? Yeah. Um, Again, not a ridiculous place to land. The reason you don't is, well, there, there's some reasons that you don't. And, you know, one is, is that you would plateau really, really fast doing things that way. Like that'd be a lot of the, a lot of the specific, like the, the specifics of our discipline of racing. If, if they're overdone, they lead to overtraining, you know, right. A lot of them, there's, there's a limited amount of time that you can spend developing those abilities before you plateau and burn out. Um, you know, most of the, most of the really race specific type work that we do, there's just a limited amount of time that we can do that before we overtrain, you know, so you kind of have to use it with prudence and, and caution. And, um, but another thing too, is like, like racing, like if you do like structured organized workouts where you're like doing like certain types of intervals at a certain type of intensity with a certain type of recovery, you can get in a lot of work and recover from it fairly well because you're kind of only training one energy system and then you're getting proper recovery from it. When you're racing, you're kind of hitting everything. You're hitting it really, really hard. You're not really recovering in between. And so you're really not sending clear signals out to, right. you know, you're training this, you're training that, you're training this, you're training that like here and there, and then not really recovering from it. So, you know, it, it's good to be able to do that. 
but you're really not sending a clear signal to improve that particular system that your body gets that energy from. Right. So it's, it really is an ideal training, but it is valuable training. So, cause I was, was going to throw and another thing to consider here is we kind of have to separate preparing your body physiologically to do these things versus maybe your mind game and then your equipment game. There is still value in doing midweek races. There oh, is still absolutely. value in getting out and being in, having your brain in race mode, seeing how you do, you know, um, like I think if you want to be good at Nika, it's a mistake to just do the Nika races, you know, don't, don't worry about them too much. Don't like, you know, stay up all night worrying about, but do an eye cup or, you know, or five, <laughs> do some midweek races. And then the other thing I'd throw out and maybe I don't, I'd, I'd just see if you agree is equipment and strategy are extremely specific. If you want it, cause we have, we have the benefit of having a lot of different races. We have point to point, we have midweek, we have eye cup, we have Nike, we have cyclocross, we have so many different races to choose from. And I do think it's a mistake to plug and play your equipment and strategy in every single one of those races because a short track, I think there might be, you know, if you want to get really granular, like maybe wear the arrow helmet and short track, that's going to be a little hot in the cross country race. You know, like you're racing at this time of day where this versus this, you know, like, do you start with arm warmers? Do you, how do you pace? You know, like the start of a cross country race is a really tricky thing to pace. And if you're only doing you know, cyclocross, or if you're only doing point to point style racing, you're going to struggle with the beginning of that cross country race. So would you think it's fair to say that like in order to prepare your body physiologically to do these things, you don't necessarily have to be specific, but if you really want to excel and you're doing different kinds of racing, there do need to be some considerations for like making sure you know how to fuel, making sure that you are in the position you want to be in the beginning of a cross country race and that you don't go too hard at the beginning of point to point. Like that specificity still totally matters, right? Yeah. and And I hope people don't ever think that I don't think specificity is important because it's extremely important and you're not going to win races unless you include the right amount of it. Right. Um, my whole point is, is you got to build the engine first. Right. And then apply the right amount of specificity. And it's kind of one right. of those 80, 20 things. There's so many different 80, 20 things. You know, there's like it, it, at the workplace, like 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Yeah. And or like, like my, my fiance always says that like, 20% of the kids or 80% of the problem in her classroom. Yeah. You know? Or like, you know, like polarized tw- training is 80, yeah. 20. And I don't think 80, 20 actually really means literally like, it just means like a big There's majority a, a of disproportionate amount of, yeah. yeah, I, I, yeah. You know, it's like a ratio that, that you kind of, it's just kind of a golden mean kind of thing, you know, where it just, right. but, um, but yeah, and I, I think it's kind of like that. I think like 80% of it's building your engine and 20% of it's fine tuning it to, to the specific needs of your race, you know? And if, right, right. if you try to do specificity 80% of the time, you'd plateau and be overcooked and you really wouldn't have a big, huge, gorgeous, enormous base to, to add that. Gorgeous, enormous base. <laughs> no, this episode's called. <laughs> well, not really. No, that would be misleading. That'd be it's misleading. Funny. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, so periodization, we've we've talked about it before. We haven't dedicated an episode to it yet. It's the most hyped up buzzword in exercise science in the last ten years. Yeah, and that's not an exaggeration. That's right? really not. I mean, like if you throw out the word periodization, you're a coach, you know. So, like that appeared in my high school sports science class. Periodization, right? Yeah, and so how would you define periodization? I, I guess like, well, it, th- th- I don't know. That's the thing I've heard. So like in my, in my, in my, um, concurrent enrollment sports science class, the idea was like during different times of the year, you do different things, which is, that's, is an operative definition of periodization. It's not a bad one. I like it actually. Yeah. But, 
Um, but the the really traditional method, kind of the Joe Frill definition of periodization, is basically the closer you get to an event, the more your training becomes like that event, which I think is for the most part a pretty good general definite and, and a good general idea. I would fine tune a little bit just because I have a, well, and this is something I've been kind of wondering and I've, I've got my own thoughts on it. I haven't really found a good concrete source to prove me right or wrong, but you know, so I'm going to get into kind of my theory on that, but I think that the closer you get to the event that your duration and your skills involved should get should mimic that event, hmm. not necessarily intensity. Okay. So as you get closer to the, how, I mean, how long's an Iker race these days? It's about you know an hour and a half for most mm, kids. Forty five minutes to an hour and a half for some. Okay, so we'll say roughly an hour. As you're getting closer either. to that like hour level right or hour long race, you're more focusing on the hour long. So like an hour long low intensity effort or. No. Or really well, mimicking and the intensity. Call, and yeah, and I'll the, have to explain what I meant by by okay. mimicking the duration and skills, not necessarily the the intensity. Because for us, fortunately, you know, fortunately, what we do is is intense. So our our um, our fit our training is, you know, if our training did get more intense as we got closer to the race, that's going to be more like the race. But um, because there's there's the theory we talk about all the time about residuals, you know, where, you know, like the the higher intensity the effort is, the the quicker that trains and also the quicker you plateau and, and can get stagnant, even overtrained from that type of Basically, your sprint, your sprint burns fast and bright. Your long motor lasts for years, but takes years to build. Right. Yeah. yeah okay. You know, so naturally for cross country racing. That's really not a consideration. I mean, you can, you know, your training can get more intense the closer you get to the event, and that actually works out great. I wonder sometimes for like a like if if you're doing like a long gravel event, um, you know, like the the traditional theory of periodization would be like, you know, if you're if your training is supposed to mimic your racing as you get closer, that would mean you would do like your really high intensity stuff early on. And then as you got closer, you start doing six hour rides, you right? start doing lower intensity, but that training that you did back then really isn't going to benefit you yeah. by the time you get close. And, and my theory is, is that like, you know, as long as it's not sprint intensity, that if you're doing VO two max intensity and you're doing zone two intensity, those things are all going to build your aerobic engine. And so I really don't think that, you know, if you're training for a long type gravel event, doing some VO2 max efforts leading up to that are going to hurt you in any way. I think it's only yeah. going to help you. And I haven't really found anything that proves that wrong. Just It's just kind of slightly contrary to the traditional polarization theory. But, but yeah, so, but, you know, for your Nike example, you know, as you're getting closer to the event, yeah, you're your four hour rides probably don't need to be four or five, six hours. They, 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 you know, they would obviously start to get a little shorter, you know, because they don't really, you know, they don't really need to be that long. You're, you're kind of just maintaining your zone two stuff. Um, you're, you know, for us, it works out really well that, you know, as we get closer to the event, you know, we can start, 
we, you know, the, the more intense workouts are going to benefit us. And, and that's kind of just, just kind of goes in line with the whole residual theory, you know, um, I want to do a whole podcast soon about block periodization, which is super interesting and it's super cool. And basically they just kind of like that whole theory is where you kind of take the residuals into account and, and you just time everything. So that all these residuals come into play right at your peak event. This is how the professionals train right now. This is the prevailing training philosophy. You, and you'll just read Instagram captions. You know, people like, so, you know, writers be like, so glad to be able to take a break after this big block, you know, or got a big block coming. So, you know, well, whatever, like. And people use the term block for different reasons. A lot of times people true. use it to, to refer to like a really hard period of training. But um, the Isran block periodization is, is more about just knowing how long it takes certain types of fitness to come to its peak and getting those all to time so they all happen at the same time. It's really kind of cool and and works out really well for cross-country racers. We're going to do a whole different podcast on that, though. because And I should say, like that is what I think separates people who are good bike racers from people who win bike races right now is that level of specificity and attention to detail in like, you know, cause I, I always say like mountain bike, bike racing is not about who works the hardest. It's who works the hardest and the smartest, right? Cause there are a lot of people that work their butts off, but they don't have the training knowledge. And so they might do ridiculous blocks of training and everything. And then just peak at some random weekend where nothing's going on, right? Or for some C tier race that no one cares about people who win world cups, this is how they do it, right? They're like, we know we want to be our best on June 9th. And because we want to be our best on June 9th, we're going to start doing this on March 18th, right? Like it's, it's incredibly specific at the top end, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, you know, and we do have like a, a plan that, and, and I'll be posting it soon. Uh, I, we've got one on our website. That's kind of like a, an outline for those that are doing nationals and NICA that have kind of taken these things into account. It's just kind of an outline that people would follow to kind of know when to start different types of things. I'm going to do, I'm working on one now that we'll post on our website that, that kind of has these things taken into account that would be for someone that's just doing and just doing NICA. I haven't put that up yet, but yeah, um, there is kind of like a, a, a timeline that you really should follow is kind of a skeleton to base your training off. But um, as far as the different day-to-day type things, there's got a, there's a lot of decision making that needs to be made and a lot of coaching that needs to be done. But you know, but having that general idea of you know when to start what is super important. But that's not really specific. That's more about building your engine up so your engine's just awesome when it's supposed to be. Um, let's talk a little bit, you know, because this really was supposed to be about specificity, but I keep getting off onto engine building because engine building's way more interesting to me but specificity let's let's talk about different types of specificity that we should consider um you know first obviously training you know the the energy systems you're going to need for that particular race is is naturally important you know i mean if it's if if it's like a a 200 mile gravel race versus a race that's going to involve sprinting versus you know, a cross country race, you know, those, those things are important to consider. But like I say, that kind of goes along with engine building too. But the, that's the first one that the second thing to consider is, is knowing the, um, 
the times that you'll need to be able to be in zone you know for instance like is this a race that's going to be a lot of you know long zone three type climbs like a point to point or is it going to be a lot of 30 second type climbs or is it going to be a lot of flat so forth you know are you going to have to be really good at your three minute efforts eight minute efforts 30 second efforts um you know, I think the, those are, that's a super important thing to consider. I want to jump in on this because this is where the specificity does come in. Um, and not just like discipline specificity, but race course specificity. Because like if your goal this year is I-Cups, um, Cactus Hugger and Snowbird are completely different efforts, right? Cactus Hugger, you're on the pedals the whole time. There are very, very few opportunities or like areas where you should not be pedaling, right? Snowbird, you're going to be crushing yourself on a climb and then doing a really technical descent that's going to be really demanding of your core, but you're not going to be pedaling for half the course, right? Um, and then like Dan said, you know, is it maybe a, I don't know, like a, like a solitude where your climbs are really, really long or like maybe something down in, in southern Utah where it's steep, punchy, short climbs, you know? And then if you're going to be doing something like Crusher and the Tusher or unbound gravel, you know, that's going to be completely different than, yeah. So this is where the specificity, like you should be looking at course profiles. You should be able to look at a course profile and say, that climb's going to take me about this long. If this is my A race, I need to be ready for that. Yeah, this is super important. And the, and the cool thing is if you've got a good engine built up, if you're showing up with a good engine, you can really kind of fine tune these different durations in a, sh a relatively short amount of time. Like our, our Skyline team, we do this a lot, like where we will find, you know, we'll try to mimic key, key sections of an, of a course that are kind of like crucial. And we'll try to find a, a, some place to kind of replicate that and, you know, and have kids get really, really strong at, at doing that particular effort. And one uh, thing I've done too, is like, I, I was thinking about how, like, like doing skills practice with my guys, right? You know, think about like, oh, you know, it's one thing to go and ride a rock garden. If you know that, like, I really struggle with technical stuff, there's this big rock garden in this Nike course. Going and riding that rock garden is one thing. Riding it after you finish an interval is another. Like, I think that specificity is cool, too. Like, I've had my guys do technical practice as part of, like, a miniature race. And that little, you know, in Corner Canyon, mm -hmm. they've got, like, by the jumps, they've got those little rock gardens and stuff. I had my guys doing really, really hard, high efforts, and then having to hit the rock garden. Right. Well, terrain was my next one. Oh, did I did I segue you, you yeah, again? You segued me. You segued me. I seg. Me. I segued me, babe. <laughs> you segued me very well. There. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. It wasn't like too far down the road this time. That okay, that's good. No, yeah. So terrain, super important part of specificity. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the first thing is is like, you know. Is it like a steep or is it a flat course? Because like 250 watts feels incredibly different on a flat course oh, yeah. versus a 15% climb. Oh yeah. It feels incredible. And it's, it's actually easier to put the wattage down on the steep climb than it is on the flat road for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. They feel like completely different. Another thing is just like being able to, like you were saying, being able to produce power on something that's technical yeah. is totally different than producing power on like a trainer or a flat road or a canyon road or something it's yeah it feels totally different totally and, different you know so when when it's getting close to race season i kind of like doing intervals on something similar to what you're going to be racing on yes oh yeah 100 percent um and another thing i'd I throw it really quick just on like the equipment front 
Um, I would, if, if you don't have the ability to switch equipment between, um, races, pick equipment that's going to work everywhere. So like, you know, if, if you, I don't know what's the flattest Nike course, like Vernal, um, if you're a varsity racer and you're like, man, in Vernal, I rode a 30 tooth ring last year and I was completely spun out the whole time. I spent the whole time in my 10 tooth. I'm going to run a 34. That might be great for Vernal, but if you also have snow basin, you're not going to be able to push a 3450 at snow basin, right? So either be able to be planning on changing chain rings or, or pick a 32 or something in the middle. Like, um, if there's a really sandy, dusty Nike course and you're really struggling with your cornering fine, run a meteor tire to get through that race, but maybe be able to take it off for the next one, you know? And like I said, if you're listening to this and you have the means and the ability and the the money to be able to do a lot of equipment swapping, that's fine. And make sure to do that intentionally. But if you've got one bike and one setup, really, you know, look at the Nike calendar, see what those courses are like. You know, if there's going to be flat races and big climby races, you know, make sure you select a chain ring size that you can push everywhere. And that's going to be a good, happy medium. Make sure you select a tire that you can ride everywhere. Um, because I, I think like specificity is everything when it comes to, um, equipment selection, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, a- another thing too, about terrain, as I was thinking about this last I cup I did, um, there was a section, it was the cactus hugger and there was a section on it where it was almost like you were riding a pump track. Yeah. And I was getting so frustrated because it's like. I couldn't ride fast enough. Like my skills weren't good enough on that section that I could even get my legs tired. Like it yep. wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't my, my fitness that was holding me back. It was my ability to ride. That section was, is a huge limiter there. And so just being really, really familiar with the course is so important. I mean, this is exactly why corner canyon just swept things that day because those kids know those trails like inside now blindfolded yeah they can hit every single corner just right just right they know exactly how much longer they're gonna have to hold the effort for this climb right you you basically know how to gauge all your efforts you know exactly how long this climb is going to be and you know how to gauge it so you you're basically out of juice when you get to the top but you know, you just climbed it with the most efficiency possible and, and you didn't have any left, but you didn't have any, you didn't blow up too early. You know, you just know how to gauge all your efforts. You don't want surprises in races. Yeah. Racing is when you, yeah, you want everything to be perfectly predictable when you're racing in a perfect world. Right. You know, so, and and I think like, you know, the, like pre-riding, like super, super important. Right. Let's. Oh yeah, I've done races where I haven't pre-rode. Yeah, I have too. And those have to be races you don't care about. And that's fine because, like, you know, if it's like an I Cup, you really don't care too much about. That's fine. You can go race it without pre-riding. Yeah. If it's an important race, you you need to pre-ride. Yes. A lot. And one one thing I like to do is like for like if it's an A level race, super super important. One thing I've actually had like kids do is like go the week before and do an, like your four hour endurance ride on the race course. Yep. And you just, you go like slow pace, you do it easy, but you do it for like four hours. So you just, just know lap, it. lap, lap. And then lap. maybe you can throw in a hot lap there too. Just right. Or take the descents at race pace or yeah. something. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wouldn't do that for every race. That'd be a little ridiculous, but if it's an important race that can make a huge, what huge the pros difference. do. That's what the pros do. Oh, for the every pros World get Cup. so dialed. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's part of their job. You know, if, if you have like this race coming up in the Czech Republic in Nova Mesto, um, I bet those, a lot of those riders spend two weeks there. And one thing too, is like, I really don't 
like to do like a lot of high school teams like to meet as a group and they all do the pre-ride together i don't really agree with that because you usually end up talking to your buddy and goofing off and not really like focusing on the course itself i think pre-rides should either be alone or with someone that's kind of coaching you through it right yeah. Or maybe you and a buddy or something and, yeah. the, and the point and you're talking about the course. Yeah. You're, you're, you're focused on the course. You're not, cause whenever I'm riding with a group, I don't focus as much on the train. I kind of, well, the, the group is the point. It's a social thing, yeah. right? Like we've said that before the group, group rides are social. They're not their Group rides are not never ideal for training probably. Right. Yeah. For pure training purposes, the group rides never ideal. And probably the last thing on terrain. I mean, I, we, there's a lot of stuff we can oh, yeah. go over here, but the last thing I would think is is knowing the start. Yes. Practicing the start, knowing yeah. how long it is, knowing how to gauge your effort on that start. Uh, because you, you'd hate to start out too hard, blow up before the, you know, before the single track. Every single Nike race I've ever done, most of the bike races I've ever done have gone wrong in the first three minutes. Yeah, that that's... Yeah, that's something that, you know, get to the course, find out where the start is, find out where the staging is, and and practice that start. Know how your effort compares with the duration of that, that start and know how to gauge it. And If you have a power meter, I would start, like, paying attention to, to the start power, and I would maybe do, like, just for mental sake, not even for training sake, I would do a lot of intervals that mimic a, a Nike race start. And maybe you disagree with me on this. No, I, I think those are some of my favorite intervals. Right. And again, I don't know what they'll do for you from a training perspective. They do, they're good. From actually. a mental perspective though, I would always be like so gassed, so ready to go. So adrenaline nervous on the line, the race starts, I go so hard. And then I find myself so deep in a pit by the time we're hitting the first climb. You know, I think doing that mentally a few times to get ready for that load. And then maybe to learn that like, you know, if I want to be a top 10 in varsity, to be a top 10 in varsity, I have to be able to do a 400 watt effort for three minutes. And then if, you know, know if you can do that or not, and then maybe base your strategy around that. Yeah. Race starts are one of my favorite intervals. I don't, you don't want to overdo them. That shouldn't no. be your own only interval. Um, I think for the mental benefit, I but, all I, just for your mindset, but yeah, you to be able like, to prepare yourself for that, right? So yeah, terrain, obviously being very familiar with the train, the the length of the efforts, so forth, super important. That's all pretty obvious. Right. So the next one is, the next part of specificity is conditions. Um, and the first one I have listed, I think, is probably the most important. Heat. Heat. Heat, yes. Yes. Like a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of the Nike teams I've been involved with, they always try to have their rides for obvious reasons. Like yes, at ski resorts, yeah, someplace that's shady, it's hot down in the cool. valley, you're gonna go up to solitude, yeah. Right? Or they do them. A lot of them do them like early in the morning, and just so the kids don't have to ride in the heat, which is good and fine. We're not saying that's bad. Yeah, that's not bad. But Nike races aren't that way. No, they they are, and most races are usually happen during a pretty terrible time of the day where it's hot. And so you guys really need to go do some rides when it's hot. Yes. Now the thing with, um, with like heat training and elevation training, you shouldn't do your intervals or you shouldn't do your hard efforts during, you know, when it's hot or when you're at high elevation, you know, your, your heat acclimation rides and your elevation training rides should be like, zone two rides, endurance pace rides, but it's 
there's actually, and we we could do a whole podcast on heat acclimation, and we will, because there's benefits on top of just being used to it and being comfortable with riding in the heat. There's actually some really awesome like blood volume benefits that that you develop as you train in the heat. Um, some say it's it's as beneficial as elevation training. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah, it's a really interesting topic. But these kids that never, never, ever, ever ride in the heat, it's not helping you. Yeah, for racing, I think if you're a recreational rider, okay, that's you're fine. That's if, true. But if you benefits. want to do well at Nike races and even at I Cups, you, you you can't be shocked by the heat every single. If you have heat, like I don't know if heat shock's not a real thing, but you know that feeling. I think a lot of Nike racers are probably getting where they're like, "Whoa, I'm used to Snowbird, and now I'm at Eagle Mountain, and it's 93 degrees at the start of my race, and I'm about to do the highest intensity effort I will do all year." in heat that is 20 to 30 degrees above what I'm used to. You are not going to have a good day. It's majorly going to kill your performance. Yeah. So yeah, like acclimating to the heat is, is a huge thing, but again, don't go do intervals in 90 degrees up shoreline, you know, do, do your intervals and your hard efforts when conditions are like ideal, when it's cool, when you can get the most out of them. Yeah. But you know, these, you do some zone two type rides in the heat and at elevation. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's the first one. Um, obviously, practicing your fueling. Oh, yeah. Super. I mean, that's, you know, we've, we've mentioned it before that, you know, during some of your hard interval workouts, you should practice your race day fueling. It's going to suck to get that gel down, you, but get used to it now because you don't want to learn how to get a gel down in a race. Yeah. And it's also going to improve the quality of your hard workouts. Yep. Too. You know, you're going to have better quality hard workouts. Under this, learn how to grab a bottle. I, if, if this is new to you, if you're new to cycling, like I do a feed zone practice with your mom, you know, ride by really fast and see how many times out of 10 you can successfully grab a bottle. You know, I'd throw that out there too. I don't know if that technically fits under this, but. And then this one could, um, yeah. So I've, yeah, train to the conditions, kind of know where you're going to be racing and what the conditions are going to be like. And, um, I mean, there's benefits to heat acclimating, even if you're not going to be racing in heat. Um, but, but yeah, I kind of know what the conditions are going to be like and be ready for that. Uh, the next one's going to be duration. Super important, you know, as you're, um, you know, if, if you're, especially if you're doing like a, like a varsity level race or like a point to point or a longer race, you know, you, you know, we talked about this a lot during our last, our podcast about preparing for point to point, but, um, you, you do need to be ready for the duration of the event. Yeah. Like if you crushed it in, I don't know if this could happen, but if you crushed it in freshman doing two laps and you're bumping up to varsity this year and you're not used to four laps, get used to four laps. That's another shock you don't want is like doing what you're used to doing, getting to the halfway point of your race and then completely falling apart. Yeah. So gradually as you're getting closer to your, your main event, you know, your training should cater more to that duration. So, you know, if you're getting ready for point to point, your ride should be getting longer building up to that. Um, getting ready for, for Nike racing, you know, you're going to want to probably maybe trim them up a little bit. So they're, they're closer to the duration of the event. Um, one, one thing, let me just throw out here, just the importance of practice races of, you know, like if you're only going to do Nike races, that's the only races you enter during, you're just not going to have a great season. No. I usually recommend, and, and I think you can race too much too. I think mm-hmm. that's just as bad. That's probably oh, yeah. worse. You know? Very few personalities I think can tolerate a full season of racing, you know, once every 14 days. And a lot of kids do that. And I think that contributes, it contributed to my burnout for sure. 
Yeah, I think the I think the sweet spot is about one race a month. Yep. I think that's a good amount because it helps you practice your race craft. It helps you become comfortable with racing. Yep. You know, so you're able to focus on what you're doing and not it's not too stressful because you're the fact that you're racing alone is freaking you out. Yeah. yeah. You get over that. Make sure you can get a full night's sleep before an important race, right? You know, and then and then you just become really, really familiar with that duration, you know, that, uh, that you'll be racing and, and, you know, so yeah, I think doing a race a month is a pretty good number to, to work towards for most people. So, um, and then Joe, Joe kind of alluded to this before is, is a huge part of it is of specificity is just psychological. You know, we talked about how like, we'll, you know, you'll, you kind of take certain key climbs or, or parts of the course, say you've got like this, this nasty five minute climb, you know, if you can practice that and get comfortable with that, you can know going into the race that, yeah, I've done this before. Yep. You know, I can do this. I've done it in practice. I'm good at it. You know, we've, we've practiced this. We know how to gauge your efforts. You know, if you've done it before, you can do it again, kind of thing, kind of, um, and, and Joe even mentioned too, with, with like the race starts, how being very comfortable with that from practicing it really helps with your psychology when you go to perform. It's, it's, I was always surprised by how hard the varsity start was. And I always caught myself out and was completely, it was like none of my strategy didn't matter because I, I had nothing left. You know, I, I think if I'd practiced a little more for that really specific kind of really hard first five minutes before it transitions into more, you know, kind of an even pace. So, um, yeah, that you have to pay attention to that. You know, it would be, it's just a bummer to do all the work and then have your head undo it all on race day. <laughs> yeah, right. That's good. That's, oh man, that's well said. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. So the last one is, is skills, mm. you know, and you know, most of us mainly do like one discipline of cycling. Yeah. You know, but you know, if you were doing multiple disciplines, you know, as you're getting closer to cross season, you'd want to really fine tune your cross skills as you're getting closer to mountain bike racing season. You'd want to master those. If you're skills. doing some crits, you got to make sure. You know, yeah. But, but the thing is, is skills is one of the, like a lot of these, these specificity things we've been talking about, some of them you really don't want to focus on until you're getting close to your key events. But skills is something that I think it's never a bad time. Yeah. It's never a bad time. Yeah. Um, and I actually rode with a, a group. It was one of Maybird's kind of, kind of like one of the more beginner groups, but there are some older kids. And I was surprised because these kids actually had really decent fitness. Like if we were just going up a hill, yeah, they were fine. Yes. But a lot of their hangups and a lot of things that were costing them time weren't necessarily fitness related. No. I mean, they're teenage boys. They're naturally going to be somewhat fit. You know? Right, right, right. But a lot of what was holding him up was just, just comfort on the bike, you know, just being able to, to kind of easily float over something, get through a tricky corner. And this is the flaw with like the corner Canyon time trial to put like people always ask like, why don't you do a time trial to put kids in groups? It's like, cause it doesn't, we haven't figured out a way to do a time trial that really captures your ability as a rider. Yeah. You almost have to have him do a complete race. Yeah. I, this runner we were talking about earlier, you could take him off, off the sidewalk, put him on, you know, a mountain bike and just climbing up a dirt road. He's going to do pretty well. Right. The first corner he sees, he's going to fall over because that's a mountain bike skill. Right. And the other thing I'd throw out and I'm going to hit this again, because I really believe in this practice, the hard parts of the course, practice that rock garden you struggle with the, the, you know, the flow track section you struggle with when your heart rates in zone five. 
Because I think going and doing it is one thing. Well, but, start with it when it's when you're comfortable. Right, but, right, right. But, but make sure because, like, I think like I remember when I did nationals at Mammoth Mountain, really technical course. There's there's a section of the course and it was called shotgun, right? And Garrison Asper and I spent hours <laughs> the day before writing it again and again and again and again and again, right? And I had this line that was dialed. When I actually hit that part of the race, I was so cross-eyed in pain just so completely hammered that I just like straight lined it and hit a rim, you know, um, make sure you can ride that drop that scares you, that rock garden that's messing you up or that set of corners that you're having a hard time with when your heart rate is high and when your decision-making is poor. That was another really, one of my, the best rides I ever did, um, uh, with one of my first green groups was, uh, like this psychological torture ride. I was like, I want to do some really hard parts and then see how much your decision-making deteriorates when you're in pain. Right. And I found that I make horrible strategic decisions when I'm in pain. I react rashly to things. I can't ride right. My my skills completely go out the window. That perfect line that had dialed through that section of the course didn't matter because my decision making was so messed up. So I would say maybe do some intervals where part of your recovery is having to ride a rock garden right after you finish. But I think, too, sometimes when you're racing, if you are in the flow, some of that like just kind of comes to you more naturally, you know? Yeah, like, that's for true. For instance, a lot of times like drops. Yeah. Like, like a lot of times people freak out about doing drops. That drop just, that wigs you out on a ride. You're in the race, you just kind of do it. you're in the race, you just do it and you're in the flow, you follow someone through it, you know? So I think sometimes that, that, that being in the race and having the extra adrenaline can actually help you. So, yeah, no, that's true. That's um, true. But yeah, you know, like skills are just super important and, you know, and that's why I think, you know, when it gets, you know, when it gets close to, time to race your mountain bike you should do your intervals and you should do you should ride your you should ride the bike you're gonna race yes oh yeah that's another one. Oh my gosh yeah don't go and do a pre-ride on your trail bike you know like i've seen people do that before I'm like why what are we doing guys you know yeah so so yeah just so i have a an analogy that i've been so excited oh, to try boy. on you okay but, hit me because like yeah i'm a huge like building a big awesome engine is going to make it so you're going to do great at pretty much most bike races, you know, but specificity is incredibly important too. You know, if, if you really, if the race is really, really important, you need to do some specificity. Yes. You know, obviously one or the other is like, they're going to be better if you combine the two. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, and there's like really no reason not. It's to. a false choice. Yeah. You, you do both. Yeah. yeah. But I, I thought of an analogy. So like building your motor is like making a cupcake. Okay. And frosting it. Okay. Okay. So obviously your base is like, you know, your zone two work is kind of the cupcake, right? Okay. And that intensity, you know, your, your zone five and six type work, your zone four, five and six type work, that's the frosting on top. Okay. You know, but that's still your motor. That's building your motor. Okay. The specificity is adding sprinkles on top. Okay. Which I love sprinkles. Okay. But you wouldn't really want to just walk around with a thing full of sprinkles and just eat sprinkles, right? Yeah, that's a bad look. No one's been in a good point in their life just eating sprinkles, yeah. right? Yeah. So So yeah, so you want to you want to make that cake, put some frosting on it. That's your you know, that's building your engine. Which is fine. A, a cupcake with frosting is great. It's great. And it's yep. going to do great at most most places. Yeah. But man, adding some sprinkles on top. Get those extra likes on Pinterest, yeah, right? I don't yeah. know if that's how Pinterest works. I'm not a Pinterest <laughs> guy, but yeah. But yeah, that's, yeah. So okay. it's, it's all important. 
Okay. But you don't want to just go around eating sprinkles or you look weird. Are you hungry, Dan? I kind of am, actually. I'm, I'm starving, ever, yeah. ever since I thought of that analogy, I've been kind of wanting a cupcake with sprinkles. Fair enough. All right. Well, that was a, I, I, that was actually interesting. Was I had really? okay. I had slightly low expectations coming into this. I was like, you know, this seems like one of those pointless semantic debates where like you don't really get any. This I think this is good. Oh, good. I I, I think you know, Dan, you you surprised me. The bar was low, but you cleared it. Well, thank you. Should we try a magic word again just for fun? We haven't done that like for the last two. Let's reach out to Dan with the magic word. I felt so bad. I was always get like so busy in the middle of the workday, and then somebody would text me their magic word. I'm like, oh, I got to remember that for the episode. And I totally wouldn't. Um, should we say first person to send you the magic word gets the call out in the next episode? How about okay, that? that That's good. a good system, right? And send it, get this to Dan and let's have the magic word sprinkles. Sure. Sprinkles. 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 First person to send sprinkles to Dan gets a shout out next episode. Alrighty, folks. Well, if you have any questions, you know where to send them. Uh, ride safe this week. Get out and ride. Looks like the rain's passed. This week's going to be perfect. Like yeah, the r- best week of riding you'll get all year. Ride lots. It makes you faster. Yep. Be safe. Don't get hit by cars. Have fun.